Welcome to the Hope United Church Podcast. We are one church with two locations. For video live streams of our services and more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Last week, it's always wondering what we speak about because we're in a season, an unprecedented season and unprecedented things going on in the world at this time. So there's always that point. And as a church, because we've been in the Gospel of John, then you're going, it's another week away from the Gospel of John. Uh, and then we're coming up to Holy Week and Easter Week as well. So we're also thinking about that. And uh, I'm really excited about preaching on Good Friday at 3 p.m. We will be going live, uh, live streaming at 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon. Please join us there. And then we will be with you again on the Sunday morning. But And amongst that, we're, we're thinking, what, what will I share? And last week I talked about uh, all things working together for the good from Romans 8. And Romans 8 is... <clears throat> truly, truly an astounding, astounding scripture. I, I spoke to someone last night briefly and I said, it almost it preaches for itself. If, if you would just uh, believe it and listen to it like a child, it is so profound, but yet it's so deep and weighty. Uh, I think we could spend months in Romans 8, because, but because I was in that and I finished in a scripture, I, I want to move on with that this morning and uh, I really want to encourage you. It may challenge you at times, but I believe it's a real encouraging message and an encouraging word uh, from God for this for this time for his elect. And I want to read last week's, what I said last week from Romans 8, 28 to 30. And it says this, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he glorified. I closed last week with this verse. And what I closed with last week, I'm going to start with this week of Romans 8.31. And it says, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And that's the message title for this morning. I'm sure you've seen it on your screen anyway. It's God is for us. For us. And this is the strength and the faith we, we need to stand on as believers always, but more so than ever at this time. If God is for us, who can be against us? That once saved, always saved. And more than that, once saved, always saved forever and ever and this is the kind of depth of this scripture and attached to that foundation and anchor is that we will also through God's sovereign will and promises be ever changed and ever ever protected from anyone or anything snatching that salvation out of our grip you may have been in church you may even be in a church where you've been taught over the years that you can Lose your salvation. Uh, that maybe I've been taught or you've heard that or it's by works or some performance and you have to keep performing in order to keep maintaining it or, or keep, keep having it, which is so far away from what Paul is teaching here to the church in Rome. Uh, more than that, all the hardship we face, 
uh, having spoke about last week about all things working for good, all the hardship we face, all the challenges we face, all the failings we face and go through are now counted as helpful and a blessing and purposeful for the glory of God. Our trials in this life are, are nothing to cry over based on the glory we will see and be surrounded by in eternity. That's the truth, but yet we don't live like it. Paul says this just a, a few verses prior, Romans 8.18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Hear that, sufferings are not worthy to be compared to anything that we will receive and the promises that we will have for eternity. But yet we compare them. Are they not to be, uh, and Paul's saying they should not even be in the same conversation of what God has predestined for you. Not even in the same conversation. The sufferings we face should not even be in the same hemisphere as the promises that should be embedded in our mind. How many of us are consumed by our suffering and not our security and salvation in our, in our future life? Paul is saying, you don't understand. And this is to, to the church in Rome and right to the church in Rome who, who was a sound, solid church. And, but, but he wanted to give more weight to this amazing doctrine of grace and uh, to the elect. Paul writing to the church, no, that it wasn't good as I said, but he wanted to share in the riches and in part the, the rich doctrines and promises that they have. Uh, and Paul saying, my life, my problems, my opposition. And he's saying the same to them, our trials never, ever, ever overshadow my destiny. And that's how Paul loved. I shared a little biography, uh, a little bit of biography of John Knox last night in one of my book reviews that I do. And John Knox, without doubt, is one of the greatest, for me, the, the, maybe the greatest of all Scotsmen ever. Uh, for me, his life is astounding, yet most Scots people would have heard him. Many people would have not have heard him. Most Scottish people would have heard him, but but maybe not know about his life or only heard a part of his life or a section of type of people will have an idea and a belief about John Knox and another section of uh, crowd of people, I'm being diplomatic here, they'll have a belief and an idea of John Knox, but not really knowing who John Knox is. And in the book that Stephen Lawson wrote called John Knox Fearless Faith, which is a brilliant book that walks you at a very fast pace through the life of John Knox and What's truly breathtaking for me about Knox's life is the more understand, the more he understood the doctrines of grace and the more that he got embedded into that in his life, the more Romans 8 became real in his life and embedded in his life, the bolder and fiercer he became in defending and proclaiming God's word and calling out what was not God's word as he was... Uh, so apt at doing and no holds barred, I would have to say about it. He truly had no fear whatsoever in the end. He never had any fear. As you read John Knox's life, he had no fear. As you read Apostle Paul's life, 
and study his life, as they continually be sanctified, they have no fear because of whether their focus is on. Lawson says this when explaining Knox's faith and courage, and I'm going to read it out, and it's in page, page 97 of this book. It doesn't matter what page it's on. You don't see it, but that's what page it's on. I just want to read this, it's, and I read it last night when I was doing my book review, but it's so apt for this today. Through these many dangers, Knox persevered in his ministry. Knox now is getting older. He's, he's went through this refining fire and sanctifying process. 17 years in the making for this moment. Uh, 17 years through pastoring, through leading, through persecution, through hardship. But yet this man was so faithful, so faithful to the word and sola scriptura. That, and this is what it says. Through these many dangers, Knox persevered in his ministry, boldly preaching the word and trusting God for the outcome beneath his frail body as he was getting older and suffered from bad health. Was an unshakable confidence in the sovereignty of God. He believed that his times were appointed for him by an all powerful God. And this is the bit I mentioned last night that's astounding. He knew that he was invincible within a allotted time of God's divine will. His faith remains strong. And the one who orders all things, as Knox approached his final years, his commitment to God grew yet deeper. The opposition he faced never subsided, even to the end. But neither did his confidence in God. I'll go back to the bit it says again there. He believed that his time was appointed for him by an all-powerful God. He knew that he was invincible within an allotted time of God's divine will. That is true for everyone of us. And it's so true for us elect that God's hand is upon our life for such a time as this, for a divine period of time. If you're breathing, if you've got a pulse, if you're breathing as a believer, God's sovereign protection hand is upon you. And these men knew that. Knox was fearless because he 100% lived in total surrender to God through his word. That confidence had an internal voice that said, if God is for me, who can be against me? It's God that is me and his grip. And that confidence for Knox came from two things and it came to Paul from really two things. One, knowing deeply that he's destined for eternity known deeply that he was destined for eternity and two, living a life that says, that is all that matters. That is all that matters. And if I was to add a third, it would be this, that he also knew no man, no foe could stop him from declaring it until God chose to bring him home. That's why he was so appointed. We're all appointed for a time where God's invincible, Sovereign hand is on a life for a time. You have a divine time to live. You have a divine time to live, brothers, sisters in Christ. You are totally invincible to death and being overran or being removed from your call or anything or anyone for an allotted time. 
If God is for you, who can stop you? Or if God is for you, who can take you out of his grip and protection? One of my book reviews this week was on a book called Deep and Wide by Andy Stanley. And it was a negative book review. And Andy Stanley, this is a well-known church-building book. It's almost like a a church-building Bible for the 21st century. And he says in his book at one point in baptism, this is what he says, uh, uh, quote, we are quick to point out that the stories of life change you have just witnessed, talking here because someone's been baptised and shared their testimony. This is what he says, we are quick to point out that the stories of life change you just witnessed are due to an overflow of financial generosity to the church, end quote. It's not predestined. It's not God's guiding hand. It's not by God's grace that this person stands in that church to be baptised. This changed life you see, you hear, is because of financial generosity. It's ludicrous when you look at it, isn't it? And also they are now financially generous because of this. To be fair to the statement that he says, whoa, Think about that. Trying to stand on that level of faith to preach the gospel in a hostile environment, which we're in as believers, always. Try to stand in that type of faith in the midst of serious trials. Do you think a John Knox could stand in that level of faith? Apostle Paul could stand in that level of faith? knowing that the reason they had that level of faith is somebody was kind and somebody gave money into the church. That's what they stood on when they faced the fiery darts of the enemy. That's what they stood on when they faced persecution. A faith that would and could be never found if someone decided to be tight-fisted. Is that a faith that could make you stand in the midst of trials? How can Romans 8, 29 and 30 For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called, whom he called, he justified, and whom he justified, these he glorified. How can that lead to you seeing a changed life through somebody's giving or generosity? Many reasons, money for one, but mostly a wrong view of Scripture that is works-based, choice-based, human-based, self-will-based, or for many, no view of scripture at all. But seeing truth is just whatever is good, like the pragmatic church. So by the time we get to the next verse, if you believe that it was through somebody's generosity or your works or something you'd done to be saved or some sort of behavior that you had to adhere to, if if you believe that, by the time we get to the next verse, All craziness and misinterpretation of the world is now let loose into the world. And that's what it's like. Verse 31 of Romans 8. Therefore, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for me, who can be against me? This is what they'll cry. You see, if you ignore Romans 29 and 30 or misinterpret it, Romans 31 is a total no-holds-barred endorsement of any worldly desires and pursuit that you may try and attain. 
My God says this. My God says that. You hear it all the time. I can do this. I can do that. God said I can. I am blessed. I've heard it all for years. I can do this. I can do that. Positive affirmations. Look into the mirror. Speak that into your life. I've heard that. It's Tony Robbins, isn't it? Uh, It would actually be no too bad if it was only Tony Robbins. Who doesn't preach in churches? But preachers every single day who's saying it. I know that no weapon formed against me will prosper. That's true. We almost start speaking that. I call out COVID-19. That's why we just uh, we just seen videos this week where Kenneth Copeland calling out co- COVID-19 and demanding. See, this is what happens. See, when you don't have a right a right exegesis, see, when you don't understand Romans 8, 29 and 30, when that's gone, 30 is crazy. 30 is crazy. 30 is this. I call out COVID-19. I call out if I don't get a jet. And this is what ends up happening. I need a jet. And if I don't get a jet, I will not be able to go to the Far East or a third world country and bring salvation to people there. People are not going to go to heaven because you didn't give me money for a jet that I couldn't fly over there. And people don't get saved because you never gave to the jet. Then take that a step further. That Go to the next verse in this total heretical teaching and take that nonsense to verse 31. And what do you get now? I'm calling devils to get on their knees. I'm demanding vaccines in the name of Jesus. And the 29th of March is gone. And who can be against us because I am all this? And I'm going to, I was ready to say the next verse, more than a conqueror, which I'll go into. And that's ridiculously misinterpreted as well. This verse has nothing to do with your career. Or your hair, or your earthly desires. It's got zero to do with that. It's got zero to do with binding enemies, declaring devils to be cast down, and proclaiming crazy things in earth. It's simply saying no one, no one will ever take away this bond of love and grace and eternity from me. I know before time began, God chose me. Then He appointed me to know that. Then he called me to walk in that. And then he showed me what I will inherit because of that. Then he walks me all the days of my life and he's grip towards that. That's what it means. That's why these men preach boldly. That's why John Knox feared no man. That's why Paul said, I'm free man, but for these chains. It wasn't because they, they, they cast down stuff. And it was because they had such a depth in their heart and soul that they were destined for eternity. It wasn't because they could cast demons down with fire or speak a word that they would all fall over in their feet. It's because they knew that God put eternity in their hearts. That's why we can say, if my God is for me, who can be over me? Who can truly be more powerful against me? No one, not a single hand. Yet we see everyday believers being consumed with people approval, people possession, 
looking for love from all sorts. At times as believers, we may think these things seem to be more powerful than, than you are. And this is encouraging to use to all who have been chosen and elect by God. At times you may seem to think that these things seem to be more powerful. And yes, and at times they are, because that's what you're setting your mind on. That's what you keep thinking about. And people like John Knox, and he constantly searched the scriptures. He knew the word, but he loved to read Matthew 27. He, he loved to read Isaiah 53, even on his deathbed, that remembered him of that assurance. John Knox in his deathbed still loved to hear and meditate in God's sovereign grace because that's what he set his mind on. And Christ's sacrifice, he ran his race with that prize in mind, as Apostle Paul said. Not for the save, many things may feel more powerful, you know. Many things for the save may feel more powerful. But that's because that's what you're focusing on. But also I may add that that's where all things also come in. You see God's hand on all that stuff. So even when you think it's more powerful, even when you're focusing on it, God's even using it for the good. For those he's called and predestined, many people will come against you to draw you away. Not just your own unredeemed mind will draw you away, but many people will come against you to draw you away. You ain't nothing. Nothing is more powerful than God. Nobody can take you his grasp out his hand. Okay, let me share the following verses with you with what time we've left. And although we will not really be able to get into depth due to, the, due to time and really the depth of these next seven verses in Romans 8. Romans 8, 31, then what shall we say to these things of God is for us? Who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, and this is what these men, as I read these next few verses, I want us to really lean in this morning because this is what these faithful men stood on and this is what we stand on as the elect through trials and persecution and difficulties, even in this season, and what gives us boldness to declare the gospel. Charles Hatton Spurgeon says about John Knox, and this was hundreds of years later, he says, we need in England a gospel that John Knox preached again to bring a reformation to England. And I would say we need a reform, we need continued reformations. And we certainly need another one in Scotland. And it comes if we, we rely on what I'm about to share next in these scriptures and that becomes our focus. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God was willing to send his only son to be your sacrifice and give him to us freely without any cost on our part, would not that God who gave us his son no have stuff in his arsenal to protect us and guide us and keep us in his care, if he was able to send his only begotten son and he was willing to do that, how much more has God got? Verse 33, who shall bring a charge? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 
Who has any authority over calling you out? Or shaping your life? Or controlling you? Who can be the judge of your life? No one. Because God's already judged you righteous through his son. You cannot tell me to not preach the gospel. You can not intimidate me. You don't keep me in a place of judgment. I don't fear you. I aim to please him and profess him and declare him. Why, oh, why would God's elect be ashamed of the gospel? This is the character of the giants of the faith throughout history. Who we so love talking about. And this is what they rested on. Throughout their life, they rested on it. On his deathbed, John Knox would ask. Read Isaiah 53. Read Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Yet by his stripes we are healed. Even on his deathbed, he was still focused on that. Throughout his life, that was his focus. That's why these men resolved to know nothing. When they were amongst people except Christ and him crucified, it's what allowed them to endure and face anything. We don't need more self-understanding. Don't need more self-confidence. Your problem is you don't have enough self-confidence. Let's work in some self-confidence. You don't need more self-adoration. Tell yourself you love yourself. You don't love yourself enough. I had a preacher a few years ago, incidentally. It's a classic. I had a preacher saying a few years ago, is if we, we learn to love ourselves more, that's what lets us love others more. And then the whole message is on self-love. I promise you, that does not, that does not give you the boldness to preach the gospel, that stuff. It, it preaches, it teaches another gospel to teach. Oh, the problem is you don't have enough self-esteem. Let's have some self-esteem. Self-esteem is demonic. We need more of standing in Christ's sacrifice or justification through that and him plucking us out of the world. That's what we stand on. That's why Paul, that's why John Knox testified of that. That's how they could be so bold. That's why John Knox could walk boldly. And people were going, I cannot believe he's walking down the Royal Mile and walking boldly into Holyrood Palace to speak to Mary, Queen of Scots. And people are saying, you'll be killed. But John Knox, you if God is for me, who can be against me? I'm appointed for a time. And if it's my time, then not to be. And as you look at John Knox's life, for 17 years, there were almost a restraint on his life because God was not ready to release him into his true call because he was working all things out for good before he just released him to be most effective. That's why we can say if God is for us, who can be against us? What can man do to me? What can man do to me for the elect that is not within the realms of God's permission? nothing. Verse 34 Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen whom is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. This scripture is just astounding. Who is he who condemns? Well for sure it's not Christ. 
for a believer. Do you feel condemned? And you're a believer in Christ. Because he took your shame and our sin, so it's not him who condemns us. Do you feel at times condemned? Well, it ain't Christ. He's already took your condemnation. The very first verse in Romans 8, which I read last week, says this, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Next, he not only took it, he continually, this is so powerful and so amazing, he continually intercedes, sitting at the right hand of God. He has continually been the high priest on our behalf in heaven. He continually, not the odd time, you know, I, I don't know if you think this, your human continually is no continually. Okay, I'm going to just step out here. Have you ever said to somebody, I'm continually praying for you? No, you're not. No, you're not. Once a day. Once a day. Last Tuesday. Not, you know what? You're continually in my thoughts. Listen, you've not thought about me for days. I'm continually reading my word. Continually? What, like 20 minutes every third day? A wee bit? When it says continually in the word that Jesus was continually, it means constantly, non-stop, day after day, minute after minute, second after second, continually praying. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like many things. Here's what it looks like for believers. When we sin, when we rebel, when we fail, through our life, from now till we meet him. He continually intercedes and says, I'm guilty. I'm taking that one. That's exactly what he's saying. I'm taking that one. So Andrew Beatty does something. He sins, he falls short, he does something. And Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding, says, that was me. Paid for. Billy, our dear brother, who will be watching this morning. Billy does something, he, he sins, he falls short. And even at that moment, continually, Jesus says, paid for, that was me. To our brothers and sisters at home, I could mention he's by name, when he's fail. My dear sister Audrey, who I loved so much, she falls, she fails. And Jesus continually speaking says, whoa, that was me as well. I paid that one as well. This is the promise for the elect. This is it. I done that. That was me. To all our brothers and sisters, I don't want to keep naming names. That was me. That was me. But is that a cheap gospel? That's a cheap gospel. That's what people are like. That's a cheap gospel. Does that afford us to pursue unrighteousness? No. Because we're continually being brought under the conviction of our desires through his grace. And due to that grace, we want to please him. Them who have been forgiven much, love much, 
One of my favourite quotes in this whole verse comes from Robert Murray McShane. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. He is interceding for me. He's taking the blame for me continually, day in, day out. This is the promises of God. Do you know that, church? Do you know that when you fail, God continually chases the high priest? is saying paid in full. I'll simply close here as time goes by reading the final four verses. I may stop briefly. Verse 35, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Distress? You know, when you're in distress and, and you don't feel the presence of God, or you don't sense him and you, you're in distress and you are like, oh, why have you deserted me? No. Shall tribulation? Shall distress? No. Persecution? No. What about famine? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. That's who we are as believers. As a believer, you're going to face that stuff. That is part of your destiny as you preach the gospel. But nobody can take you out of God's grip. People will come and try. Oh, many people will come against you. And they'll come and try and you'll have false teachers. You'll have fake friends. You'll have stuff going on in your life. And maybe some of you will say, but I know someone who's walked away from God and they've been away for years. Okay, there's two things. Either in the wilderness and through that wilderness, God's leading them back. Or as Apostle Paul says, they were never one of us in the first place. Nobody can snatch out. Even God himself can't snatch out of his own hand. <laughs> he can't go back in his word. So nobody can snatch you out of that. What a confidence we have in that. Verse 37, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Again, you miss 28. You miss verse 29. And then you go straight to verse 37. You go down that road and we are as red rag to a bull. I am more than a conqueror. I can do all, do all things. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm a winner. Tell everybody you're a winner. It's all that nonsense. It's like... No, 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 that's not what the scriptures mean. It's way more precious than that when you're in the context of the scripture. This is why we can be bold. If my God is for us, who can be against us? For we're more than conquerors. This does not mean you can do anything you want or be anything you want. You can be whatever you want to be. Really? Really? Can you? You can achieve anything you want. And no one can stop you because you're a, more than a conqueror. You're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. You're the best of the best conquerors. That's how it talks. 
And the total context, it means nothing. No matter what will ever be able to tear your union and relationship with God apart. That's what it means. Even more than that, no one shall and nothing will ever be able to stand and compete with that. And more than that, when you do face opposition because you're not just a conqueror, you're more than a conqueror, God will not just conquer it, he'll even use it to further, to further strengthen you for your journey. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way, the Christian is not just one who slinks into heaven. See, this is what it means to be more than a conqueror. You maybe never thought about this before, you think it's about winning battles. Listen, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, and if you, ever read, if you ever want to really study Romans, you buy his teachings, astounding. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this, the Christian is not just one who slinks into heaven, meaning... He's not just one who gets into heaven by the skin of his teeth. You ever thought that? You know what, I'm just getting in by the skin of my teeth. No such thing for a believer. No. Dr. Lloyd-Jones says, no. He is more than a conqueror. We don't get in with the skin of our teeth. We get in with grace to spare. <laughs> we get in with extraordinary amounts of grace to spare. We do so with an overwhelming yes. It's not like, ooh, some of you, ooh, you're, you've just gotten by the skin of your teeth because you're no very nice. And you've just gotten by the skin of your teeth because of this. No, 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 no. It's an overwhelming yes. We thrive, we grow amongst it. We are more than conquerors. Jesus hasn't he just won the battles you face today. This is what it means to be more than conquerors. Jesus has not just won the battle you faced up until today. He's also beat the battle you face tomorrow, next week, next year. He's faced all the enemies and all the, all the tricks of the enemy to get you out of his grasp. Why do we know that? Well, he beat death. He beat death. That's why we are more than conquerors. We don't just scrape into heaven with the skin of our teeth. We get in with grace, despair. I'll close with verse 38 and 39, which is two astounding verses. For I am persuaded. See, this is how we have to, this is, do you hear this church? This is why we can live such a bold life of faith and declare the gospel. For I'm persuaded. This is Paul, he's persuaded and he's telling the church in Rome the same. This is why you need to be so persuaded. This is why it doesn't matter who comes against you, you declare the gospel. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore we can boldly say 
If God is for us, who can be against us? This is why we can declare this verse boldly and preach the gospel boldly and fear no man's repercussions. Why are we so frightened as believers from man when we read and we enlighten this scripture? Why are we so consumed by the approval of man in the light of this scripture? Why are we so waiting on man to say yes and give us permission in the light of this scripture? Why are we so passive with the gospel of declaring Jesus Christ and him crucified in light of this scripture? These men, these saints were no prisoners to man and neither are you other than that's what you're focusing on they did not fear man they were prisoners to Christ alone apostle Paul says I am a free man but for these chains you know when Jesus met Pilate we were coming into this next week Pilate says I have got the power to save your life or or destroy your life. And Jesus says, you have no power over me whatsoever. It's set what my Father in heaven has gave you. Meaning, the only power that you've got over my life is what God's allowed you to have for my glory. You know, the only power that people have got over your life as a believer. It's no, you know, it's not just pragmatic. The only power people have got is what you give them. No, 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 don't go there. Don't go there with that stuff. You're the elect. You're giving them way too much credit. <laughs> the only power they've got over you is the power that God's permitted them to have over you. So therefore, they've no power over you whatsoever. That's why we can be bold. Church, we have faith. They did not fear man. They were prisoners to Christ alone because he alone sets us apart. He alone takes away our sins. He alone calls us. He alone chose us. He alone saves us and he alone conquers all. And he alone, he alone continues to be that guide and the author and finisher of our faith. Praise in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Hope United. You can stay connected with us through our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages.